And uh, thank you for joining with us today on the live chat and being a part of our service here at City Baptist. It's great uh, to see you and to have you a part of the service today. I'm excited to begin with you a brand new Christmas series. And we're going to be studying the life of Christ or his birth uh, over the next few weeks. And it's just going to be a great time for us as a church family to be renewed in our hearts uh, and to be reminded of the miracle of the birth of Jesus Christ. Really for us, what I desire is that we would renew in our hearts the miracle, and I don't want you to miss it on that word, the miracle of God coming to this earth in one of the most incredible or the most incredible event in all of history. Think about it. God humbled himself. He came to this earth by taking on the form of a baby for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was to save a fallen humanity from their rebellion. You know, you think about it, back in Genesis, there was a time when the world was in rebellion against God. And what did flood, didn't he? And he sent a flood and he saved just a few people uh, that, uh, that were true followers of him. And basically God did a reset on the earth, but he didn't do that this time. He also didn't send the Messiah as the Jews viewed the Messiah, which was someone who would come as a conquering military leader. He didn't do the things that man thought that he would do. And honestly, if I were God, I probably would have just blown the whole thing up. But rather than that, rather than following what man would do, God did something that is completely out of the realm of mankind's creativity and imagination. And he sent the savior of the world. He sent the Messiah as a baby to this world. The one who would bring healing, the one who would bring hope, the one that would bring salvation to this world came in the remarkable, extraordinary birth of a baby. Now, this world has definitely seen some extraordinary births. If you were just to do a little bit of a, a Google search and type in, you know, extraordinary births, you'd find some very interesting things. One of the things that I found out this week is that the world's biggest baby was born in 2009. Did you know that? Uh, and it was a baby that was 19 pounds and two ounces. Now, that's a big baby. In Indonesia, that just happened in 2009. And it was a 41-year-old woman who gave birth to that baby. Now, that's if you're a woman and you've given birth, you're just like, that's incredible. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Uh, uh, we've, of course, heard stories of where uh, babies have been born. People have had babies in odd places. You know, I read about uh, someone had a baby in a McDonald's and somebody had a baby in a tree and somebody had, a, no joke, in a tree and uh, somebody had a baby, uh, you know, on the side of the road. You've heard all these different stories, but the most notorious lady as far as interesting births are concerned was a lady by the name of Mrs. Vasiliev. She gave birth 27 times over a 40-year period. And after it was all said and done, she had given birth to 69 children. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. 69 children. She had 16 pairs of twins. She had seven sets of triplets. And she had four sets of quadruplets uh, and a total of 69 children. Now this is so interesting. She was the first wife of, of Fedor Vasiliev, who actually had a second wife that we don't know anything about, and he had another 18 children with her. And so, I mean, that's pretty extraordinary, if you ask me. That's pretty incredible. Of course, many of us are familiar with, uh, in 2009, the Octomom, of course, and she made a lot of headlines. Uh, Nadia Suleiman, who gave birth to eight children at once, and they've all survived and are all healthy, and that's the uniqueness of it. But definitely, our world has seen some unique uh, birth stories, definitely. But the thing is this, there's absolutely nothing in the history of this world, absolutely no birth story anywhere in our modern or in world history that can compare with the arrival of God to this earth in the flesh. You know, as Christians, each year we set aside this time of Christmas, and what we do is we thank God for his wonderful gift to us. 
Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 9, verse 6, said it this way. He said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And this is what he said about him. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, over the next few weeks together, we're going to study the arrival of King Jesus to this earth, and we're going to look at how he came. We're going to see that today, how Jesus came to this earth. We're also going to look at who Jesus is, and then we're also going to talk about in the final week why his arrival to earth is so important and what his arrival reveals to us. It is so, so important, church family, that we do not forget the significance of who it is and why we celebrate this season. And so this morning, what I want you to do is I'd invite you to take your Bibles and join with me in Matthew chapter number one today, as we are going to look at how God sent the Savior uh, to the world from heaven and how he came down to us. It was an unusual arrival. I think you understand that. Yet within his coming as a baby, what we see is that God's glory is revealed and his love for mankind is displayed. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 18 of Matthew chapter 1 today. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. When we talk about Christ coming to earth, we first of all see that Jesus came to a virgin mother. Jesus came to a virgin mother. Again, at verse number 18, it says that Mary was espoused and it was before they came together. Now, as we get into this familiar passage, it's important for us to define a few things, a few details that need some explanation if we are to understand it properly. Now, Matthew, who was the author of this book, of course, he was the tax collector turned disciple of Jesus Christ, began the book, the first 17 verses, with a very concise and even a condensed genealogy of Jesus. Now, interestingly enough about his genealogy, he breaks tradition and actually includes the names of five different women in his genealogy, which is against the tradition how they would often keep genealogies. But in verse number 16, we notice that Jacob begat Joseph the husband of Mary. Notice it doesn't say that Joseph begat then Jesus. It doesn't say that at all. The genealogy stops right there where it says that Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. See, Matthew gets right to the point in telling us that he's talking about the birth. He's talking about the arrival of Jesus Christ. Now, I've had people ask me before, was Christ the last name of Jesus? Did he have a different last name than his parents? And that is not uh, the case, actually. So I want to clear that up here at the very beginning. It's important to understand what Jesus Christ means. So I have the definitions for us here, just as we begin the message today. Of course, the name Jesus means uh, Jehovah is salvation. It's a New Testament rendering of the Old Testament name, uh, Joshua. And it means that Jehovah is, God is salvation. But the word Christ there that we refer to him as so much means the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is appointed to come to this earth and to save mankind. And so we see Jesus Christ here being born and his arrival coming. And Matthew is making it so clear right at the very beginning of his book and his account of the birth of Christ, because he wants to make sure that the people that he is speaking to, which Matthew is speaking to the Jewish people, Matthew is making it so clear that he is talking about the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the savior of the world. He wanted his Jewish readers to know for sure exactly who he was talking about. Now, for most of us, Luke, the, the Luke's account of this, whole, uh, of this whole story of the birth of Christ is probably more familiar to us. But Matthew here is writing, and he's giving us a clear presentation that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the king. 
It's also interesting to note that much of Matthew is written as an apologetic. It's written as a defense, and he's very clear, and it's because he is writing to Jewish leaders and Jewish readers, and so he's wanting to make sure that they know for sure, and so he's defending the fact that Jesus Christ truly is the Messiah. And that's why after the genealogy and after uh, everything that he lays out for us there in the first 17 verses, he proves, first of all, Jesus's connection to the line of David. And then secondly, what he does is he highlights the fact that Jesus was born to a woman named Mary, and this woman was a spouse or she was engaged, she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. And specifically, I don't know if you notice this or not, but very specifically, we see Matthew make a mention of the fact here that it was before they came together. It was before a physical relationship of marriage, uh, which is necessary, by the way, to have children. Before that physical relationship happened, it tells us here that Mary was found to be pregnant. And the pregnancy, if you notice in verse 18, says that it was of the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to dig back a little bit into Jewish relationships 2,000 years ago and the differences uh, that they were than uh, than they are today. For many people in that day, what happened is that their spouses were actually chosen for them. They were chosen for them. And so the parents would get together, maybe different families would connect. And oftentimes before a child, a young person would even understand the concept of marriage or even have a desire to be married, they would already have a a chosen spouse for them. For some, it didn't happen when they were very young, but when they came of age, uh, maybe a matchmaker or their parents would get together again, and often they were arranged uh, marriages. But regardless of how the marriages were set up, whether it was through parents or a matchmaker or however it happened, what we see here, the idea of an engagement, a betrothal, was a very, very important part of the Jewish marriage relationship. In essence, what it was is it was the signing of a contract. And so the parents would come up with an, with a, with an idea, there'd be a dowry, there'd be uh, an exchange back and forth. And then at that moment of betrothal, the contract was essentially signed and made official. And then from that time of the signing of the betrothal for a year until the wedding, that couple was in the state of engagement. Now, it's very different than engagement uh, today, of course. Uh, For many people, they're engaged maybe for a few months and maybe even a year or two years, uh, and and then they get married. But in the Jewish uh, faith, when when it happened, when you were engaged, you had a year, and then there was a one-week celebration with your family and friends and neighbors, everybody involved celebrating your wedding. At that point, the couple would then move in together. But that one-year time of betrothal was very, very important. The husband-to-be would be preparing the family home. And as well, what it was is it was a way for uh, the wife, uh, essentially, uh, the wife-to-be to prove the quality of the investment that the families were making. Yes, it's very, very different uh, than it is today. And the other thing you have to understand is that unlike today with an engagement, and it, today an engagement can be ended with, you know, uh, her throwing the ring back in his face, you know, or returning the ring or just saying it's over. In those days to end an engagement, it honestly was essentially you had to file for a divorce. It was a pretty major situation to move out of a time of engagement and, and to, to separate from it. And so when we see here that Mary was pregnant, because essentially betrothal, you were married. I mean, it was a, a proving of your fidelity, of your faithfulness to your spouse-to-be. And so for Mary to come up pregnant, it to be found out that she's pregnant uh, with a baby during that time of betrothal was a huge deal. And I think you understand that. It was, a, it was a big deal. Before they came together, Matthew's very clear in emphasizing that, she was found with a child. Think about Joseph for a moment. 
It would have been a huge deal for Joseph. And of course, for Mary. I mean, in her heart, she knew, she believed, I've not been with anybody. How is this even possible? And, and for two young people that were committed to each other, both of them, as we know, were young people that walked with God. Mary was referred to as a highly favored with God. Joseph is described here in a few minutes as a just man, a title that's only given to Noah, John the Baptist, and Simeon in Scripture. And so for him, he, they were both godly young people. We understand that and we know that. And so for this to have happened, even though they were right with the Lord and even though they were doing the right thing, it appeared to everyone else that they had been unfaithful, or especially that Mary had been unfaithful. And, Mary, and Joseph, of course, would have been and felt a lot of shame if it came out that he didn't even know what was going on with uh, Mary, who he was supposed to uh, be married to soon. But yet here it is. Here it is. That's why Matthew takes such emphasis and such care to emphasize to us that Mary was pregnant, yes, but she was a virgin. He emphasized that, and it's so key. She had not been unfaithful. Mary, in fact, was pregnant with and by the Holy Spirit. Now, when the angel Gabriel brought this information to Mary in Luke chapter number one, verse 34 through 35, she, of course, asked the question that we are all asking right now. How can this be? Look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, knowing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. See, the baby that was supernaturally placed inside of her by God. By the way, the same God who created the universe out of nothing. Some people question that. How is it possible? Well, he is God. He can do anything. God placed supernaturally within her this child, and that is the reality of the virgin birth. It was God who did this, okay? She was not unfaithful. Uh, She was not uh, doing uh, anything wrong at all. God blessed her with this gift in fulfillment of a prophecy he had made some 400 years earlier to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, and here was the sign, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A virgin was going to conceive, prophesied, and he would be God in the flesh. He would be God with us. Now the truth of the virgin birth has always been contested. I mean, as early as just a few years after Christ's death, and even during his life, people argued and rumors were going around attacking the very fact that, uh, that he uh, actually was born in that way. Satan, if you have to remember, he knew of all this to come. And so Satan, he had known about the prophecy as well. And so Satan would do anything that he could to bring this into question. And he has continued to do that for generations and generations. And I got to tell you, if Satan's trying to discredit something, it's more than likely true. And that's really been the push. And even some so-called faiths today, people call themselves Christian. Vast percentages of people do not believe in the virgin birth. But the virgin birth is so, so important because without it, church, it would be impossible for Jesus to be our Savior. Without the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, it would be impossible for him to be the complete and the perfect and the holy sacrifice for our sins. The only way a perfect sacrifice would be possible is if a human uh, flesh woman uh, could give birth to the Son without the sin nature of man being passed down upon him. See, from Scripture, it's abundantly clear to us that Jesus' birth was the result of the Holy Spirit working within Mary's body. It was the immaterial, the spirit, and the material, Mary's womb, that were both involved. And Mary became a vessel since it is only God who could perform the miracle of the incarnation. Now, think about this. 
the physical connection, though, between Mary and Jesus. Because some people say, well, why didn't God just create, you know, a being uh, and just, you know, put that being there? Well, there was that important connection that needed to take place, that flesh, which was what Mary was. Mary was flesh, and then the Spirit connected with us. It was very important to make Jesus fully human so that we knew and we can understand that he is fully human with a physical body just like ours, not just some extra created being by God, but a physical human that can relate to us and can suffer like us and can know what we are going through. And so he received that flesh from Mary, but at the same time, he remained as God, eternal and righteous and holy and all-powerful with an eternal, most importantly, sinless nature. John chapter 1 and verse number 14 teaches us that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, it says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest. He was revealed to us in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then received up into glory. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, talking again about the humanity of Christ, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself, notice that, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Think about that. And through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. This is so powerful, verse 15 and 16. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's us. He could free us from that bondage of fear. For verily, it says in verse 16, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He took that on as himself. See, Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth to a virgin mother, and that virgin birth of Jesus Christ is so, so important. But we also see in this passage that he arrived as well to an adoptive father, to an adoptive father. He came to a virgin mother, but he came to an adoptive father. I want to begin reading again in verse number 19. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, imagine that moment. Think about it for a second. It says that while he was thinking on those things, hmm, I think, oh man, what am I going to do? Imagine the shock of receiving that information uh, that your betrothed is pregnant and it's not yours. As it says that he thought about it and he had already in his mind decided to do, to put her away privately, not make a big deal out of it. But then it says, while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Man, it's re-emphasized again. Verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, now here's the quote to Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Verse 24, and Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he, I like that, he called his name Jesus. Now, the truth is, we do not know a lot about Joseph in Scripture, aside from these few references, and then, of course, the gene genealogies. We know where he came from, and then these references. But one of the things that we can learn the most about Joseph is how he responded in this moment of crisis, how he responded to this information that his fiance was pregnant and it wasn't his. 
First, we know, of course, here in the passage that when the angel came to him, uh, he very uh, quickly got right to the point and says, I don't want you to fear uh, what is taking place here. I don't want you to be concerned what is happening uh, here in this situation. And so he came to him and he brought him the good news that we would consider good news. At the time, maybe he was a bit confused, but they brought to him the news that the baby that Mary was carrying was in fact from the Holy Spirit. You know, as I mentioned, we don't know a lot about Joseph, but what his response teaches us was that he definitely was a man who respected and loved and obeyed God. We know that he was possibly poor. We know that from the sacrifice they made once Jesus was uh, born. Uh, We know that he was of the line of King David, which of course was important to prophecy. But we do know most of all that Joseph was a man of great character. Somebody once put it this way. They said, I don't believe that God the Father would send his son to be raised by an ungodly or abusive father. (laughs) That was so profound. You know, for us to think that God would allow his son to be raised, uh, uh, raised by an imperfect, well, obviously he was imperfect and a sinner, but by an abusive or a terrible father just doesn't line up. God wanted his son to be raised in the right way. He had to be the right kind of guy to raise a perfect child. Think about that. He had a perfect child in his home, you know, and Jesus said, hey, dad, I don't think it goes that way. You know, <laughs> how hard would that be uh, to be corrected or to be, uh, have the truth pointed out by your own child? And so he had to be a person of unique character and of unique uh, uh, um, uh, uh, characteristics and of individuality, someone who could handle this whole situation. And we see that in the way that he was going to handle the engagement even. He said, he said he had decided he was going to put her away privately. He wanted to protect Mary. He wanted to protect her reputation, even though the law stated that he could do much worse to her. He loved her so much that he was going to privately put her away or privately have a divorcement. But then the angel came and told him what he should do. And at that moment, we see him recognizing God's hand. We see him recognizing that God was doing something here. And so he willingly submitted his life to God's will for him. And so he followed through with the marriage. He legally made Jesus then his adoptive son, something, of course, that we know carried with it the rights of a biological father. And it made Jesus then possible to be the son of David, which then, of course, would have fulfilled the prophecies as well, and to be that perfect savior for us. But Joseph to us today is an example of a person who obeys God without questioning. He is somebody who willingly obeys the Lord without laying down conditions, (laughs) So often when God speaks to us, we begin to put conditions to our obedience to him. But yet Joseph just said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. He heard from the Lord and he just followed him. He obeyed. He didn't ask for another night's sleep. He didn't want to see if things would change in the morning. He simply obeyed and he uh, showed us, to me, it shows us why God chose him in the first place. The fact that he had such great character and such obedience of God. You know, the truth is, church family, when God chooses someone to make a difference in this world for him, he looks to those that are already walking with him. He looks to those that are already serving him. He looks to those that are already obeying him and obeying his word. You know, to feel that or or to think that God would somehow, you know, lead us to do some amazing and great thing for him when we're not even walking with him, when we're not even obeying him in the things that we know we should do, uh, I think that's an error for you to believe that. See, God speaks to and God uses those that are already walking with him. And Joseph was that kind of person. He walked in obedience to God. And guess what? You can be that same kind of person as well. Jesus came to this world in an unexpected and a very unique way. 
He came to a virgin mother, and that's a very important point that we've already talked about, but he also came to an adoptive father. And Joseph, I think, was the best adoptive father there could possibly be. He's the best possible man for the job. He would have embraced him as his own son, and he would have treated him as he would have treated his own children. And what a great example that is to us of the love of adoption that happens here. And Joseph had such love for Jesus, and that's how Jesus came to this earth. But lastly today, I want us to look at that Jesus not only came to a virgin mother and an adoptive father, but he also came for a fallen world. This is so critical right here. Jesus came for a fallen world. Jesus came to a world that was full of rebellion, that was full of sin, that desperately needed salvation outside of what they could provide for themselves. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it tells us, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. That's speaking about Adam and Eve. And so death then, because of that, is passed upon all men. From that one man has been passed down for that all have sin. In Mark chapter number seven, Jesus is speaking about this very topic. And he says, from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. You say, what do all of those words mean? It doesn't matter. They're all bad. (laughs) It does matter. You can look it up for yourself, but they're not good things. And then in verse 23, he says, all these evil things come from within. It is something that is passed down to us and it defiles the man. And of course, we know the man and the woman. We know that involves all of us as mankind. And so all of, these, all of this wickedness that we see in this world, all of the wickedness that is even in your own life that has come out of you and you're just like, where did that come from? It is from within you and it's from that sin nature that has been passed down from your parents and passed down to you through the man. That's why, of course, Jesus is important that there was not that human father, so that sin nature was not passed down to him. But Jesus talked about the evil. He talked about the sin. He talked about the struggle. And to understand mankind and to understand this world, church, is to understand our sinfulness, is to understand our coming short of the righteousness that is found of God. And this is so important, and it is crucial because ultimately, once we understand our sinfulness, we are then able to fully understand the importance that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus is God in the flesh. There is a necessity there. It had to be a perfect and a righteous sacrifice because mankind's sin problem needed a divine solution. It did not need a solution that mankind would come up with. It did not need another animal sacrifice. It needed an ultimate solution and it needed to be a divine solution. There was no acceptable solution that could be found except through God providing a solution through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ to show us that salvation could not possibly come from man, but salvation can only come from God and from God alone. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it tells us the wages of sin is death. What we have earned for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, salvation is a complete work of a supernatural God, and it is in no way the work of a natural man. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves from our sins. We need a savior and the savior must be an acceptable savior, a complete savior, a perfect savior, a holy savior. In other words, a savior that is beyond ourselves, beyond any good works that we could do, beyond anything that we could come up with. And here's the good news for us today is that Jesus is that savior. 
Jesus is the Savior that you and I need. He's the Savior we needed at the moment of salvation, and he's the Savior we need to continue on in this life, remembering that our sin debt has been paid in full by his sacrifice on the cross. And the reason he could be that atonement is because he was perfect. That's why he came as a baby. He was fully human, but he was also fully God. He willingly laid aside his glory in order to provide salvation, to provide eternal life for this fallen world. And the reason he did it was so that whosoever, as Romans 10, 13 tells us, the reason he did it was so that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God has a love for you. God has a love for me. And he expressed that love to us in the greatest way through this baby of Jesus, through this unexpected miracle, how he came to earth in an unusual way so that man could be made righteous in him. Philippians chapter three, verse nine says, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And church family, this is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. This is the reason. uh, And the reason is, is that God has come to earth. The Savior has been born. Jesus has come and he has provided for us that way of of salvation. And if he is your Savior today, would you thank him? If he is your Savior, would you take a moment today and and thank uh, him for the gift of salvation, the one that uh, came down to this earth and provided for you eternal life? And on the other side of that, I would say, if he's not your Savior today, if you do not know him as your personal Lord and Savior and you have not trusted in him completely for the life to follow, my question for you and my challenge to you today is, would you accept him as your Savior today? Would you put your faith and trust in him? Would you take a moment, even right now, there in that live chat, and would you take a moment to reach out to one of our hosts? You can do it by clicking on request prayer or in the links above the chat, there's a link that says Jesus on it. If you just click on that, you can go and read more about him and you can contact us. Listen, don't ever, don't put that off. Jesus is your savior. He has come to this earth and he is the perfect and the ultimate and the only sacrifice that can forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life in heaven. Would you please reach out to us today if you're not saved? And Christian, if you are saved, would you praise him for that salvation today? Would you be reminded of the importance of the virgin birth? We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Vance City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.